you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians. comes from chapter 15, chapter 13, sorry, verses 5 to 6. That's a trick. There's no chapter 15. <laughs> 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 5 to 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Here ends the reading. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at authenticity in sanctification. A question I'm going to start here with is, um, is your faith in Christ authentic? Well, we're now in the fourth week of looking at and studying sanctification and what it means for us. The first and most important segment was, of course, repentance. Repentance without repentance there would uh, be no need for any further study of this particular subject. Without repentance, there will and can be no sanctification for us. With repentance, automatically also comes a will and then a desire to change. Repentance is brought on by your understanding of your own sinfulness and it also obviously then requires a change of heart and a showing of willingness to adhere to the Lord's commands. It all comes gradually and step by step. And that was, then we come to the second week's focus, which is then discipline. Discipline is if you have woken up to the fact that you are a sinner, been brought to the point of repentance, meaning you are now turning away from your sins, then you'll also need to be the sort of person that start maybe living a disciplined life. Um, meaning there are things you feel that are theologically, biblically important to uphold in your life, such as reading the Bible regularly, daily, giving thanks for the meals that you are provided, praise the Lord in prayer, and we can go on, the list can be as long as anything. But then there are times when you are disciplined, or let's, let's call for what it should be, it's self-discipline, it goes out the window. That's when you and I are and will be disciplined by others. This is, after all, also what good parents do, don't they? They do that with their children. Children are and should be disciplined by a loving parent and built up, building up in them a self-discipline that they will live a life that honours God without us all hovering over them. Pastors and elders of churches are also called to discipline sinners. And of course, last week we then studied the authority in sanctification and made a little bit of a sense out of what is important about the authority that we live under. 
and the ultimate dis, uh, discipliner, if that is a word, the ultimate authority in discipline is, of course, our Lord God. And he has the right to discipline us any time he wishes, since he holds all authority, both in heaven and on earth. The Bible is full of example of us to read an outlining why he has all the power that he has. He created it all. He created you and I in his own image, no less. And that is no other part of creation can claim that, to have been created in his image. Now, if the gradual sanctification of your being has then brought you this far, then why not also consider the authenticity of your own faith? If you are not a Protestant, evangelical, Bible-believing, Reformed Christian, you may also have some trouble claiming full assurance of your salvation. Others' faiths, even when claiming Jesus as their own, lack this assurance due to the fact they have been told that they have things they need to do to complete their part of the salvation. And they will never, ever know when their part, their little thing, is completed and therefore they really have no assurance of their own salvation. So how do we know? How do we know we are? We simply need to establish our authenticity and test the fact that we are, in fact, true believers. But how? How do we actually do this? Well, that's what we're going to have partly looked at this morning. Let us pray and let us study this really important element of sanctification. Let us pray together. Our loving Father, we come to ask that you will indeed guide us closely this morning by your Spirit that we may truly come to understand what it means that your son had to die, that he did die for us, that you rose him from the dead, and that we have new life, we have been born again, and you have given us assurance through your scriptures that we are saved, called by you, and you have given us things and information and understandings that we can rest our assurance in. We pray that you will indeed give us this clarity today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start this with reminding us all that last week I pressed the point that every Bible verse in the Bible agrees with every other Bible verse. This teaching is based on the principle that Jesus teaches us in Mark uh, 3.25. He says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. In other words, if the Bible disagrees with itself, there is nothing there for us. Which also confirms the thought that if you remove any one part of the Bible that you may or may not like, then also the Bible falls apart. You cannot take one part out. The reason this is so important in the context of today's message is there are some passages that looks like, when you read it on the face of it, that are actually looks like they're contradicting other parts. And people use it to think that they can prove that the Bible is merely the opinion of men. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6. 
It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. At this point, I'd like to bring up a couple of names from the Bible. We have a man, King Saul, Old Testament, chosen by God to be the king of Israel, given his spirit as a guide, and yet we read in 1 Samuel 16, 14, the Holy Spirit departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Here was a man that had for a time had God's spirit guiding him and due to his sinfulness had lost the Holy Spirit. Remember that this is Old Testament times and they live under the law and are punished according to the law that we have in the Old Testament. King Saul also decided to reject the guiding of God's spirit and therefore suffered the consequences. Basically, the consequence was an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Well, he lost touch with God. Moving forward in timeline to around the year 30, we find Jesus. He's calling 12 men to be his disciples, and among them is a man called Judas. In Matthew 10, 1 to 4, we are told, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirit, to heal every disease and sickness, these are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Judas had been endowed with a special gift and had walked and lived with Jesus for more than three years, and yet after all of that, the first-hand witness to all the miracles and all the teachings and the thoughts of the Son of God, Jesus failed and also lost his connection to God. How do we then, how do we, possibly hold to the teaching that once God has called you, you are saved and nothing will separate you from the love of God. How can we hold to that when that's what the Bible teaches? But this is, after all, what Paul is teaching us, what God has given him to write down for us in Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, firstly, both Saul and Judas lived in what we know to have been the Old Testament times, therefore also lived under the law. The price for sins had not yet been paid and Jesus was still alive and had not taken the punishment due to us and due to Saul and Judas. They're not living 
post-cross. The time after crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the time Paul speaks of in Romans. Romans speaks of that point in time and on. But we also have New, New Testament writings of Hebrew speaking of the impossibility of anyone being brought back to Jesus once they reject him. That's New Testament. Who have tested the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Cannot be brought back. But thankfully this will only be a problem if you stop reading at that point. And that's what they do when they argue the Bible to be faulty. They stop reading where they want to. Further on in Hebrew, verse 9 and 10. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. In our case, yours and mine. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. This message has written, has been given. It is to relay to the readers, you and I, that there is a difference between days of old and days of new. The most startling example of all this must surely rest with Peter the Apostle. After having rejected the Lord Jesus three times, the Son of God, as Peter had declared him to be, Peter had declared him to be the Son of God, was explained, rejected him three times. This restoration of Peter goes a long way towards explaining what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 12.10, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Why the difference? To tell you the truth, that's a question you'll be taking with you to heaven. But that is what the Son of God has told us. So it's true. The question we started with is, is your faith in Jesus authentic? Paul then confronts the Corinthians with exactly this issue, this problem. In verse 5 he says, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is a bit like the repentance. It's not just a one-time thing, is it? We need to continue this till the very end. Continue to examine our walk with the Christ. It is all part of our perseverance in Christ. Part of this test, if you like, is the question of whether, whether I do actually persevere or if I've given up. Do I pray for my brothers and sisters daily? Do I come before the throne of grace in repentance? Have I shown my love for my neighbor? Do I read scriptures daily? There are some of the things. We can continue on here for some time. The list could go on for quite some time. Or any such test should bring out the truth. As Paul then says in the next verse, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? No doubt you've already sat there, down there now, like I am, 
started to work your way through your own list all the good things we do sometimes however the problem might be that we start bringing up all the things we have done to make ourselves feel a little better or maybe even the less rotten that we really are and we try to cover maybe some of those failures that we still have in us we want all of you to pass a test each day so we dearly want you to have this assurance to understanding of the authenticity of your faith. Paul also did not want anyone in Corinth to fail. And it would be at the end of the day is what Paul also reflects on as well. He had not, as an apostle of Christ, had not passed, if he had not passed on the true message of the gospel that Jesus Christ had given him, but Paul also issued this challenge and test for the fact that he had seen these people, he had lived amongst them, and he had full confidence that most of them would be fine and authentic. But maybe not all, which is what he says in verse 6. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. That is, Paul has not failed to give them the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. When we take the time to closely examine our daily walk with the Lord, it will undoubtedly always give us insight into our own shortcomings and what we have missed out on doing. But more importantly is in the fact that we will be assured of our salvation. We will find the authenticity in our walk. Paul also writes of this in Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself, the Spirit that God placed in you, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Apostle Paul, or John, also writes in 1 John 23, Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. And again in 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another and whoever does now not love abides in death. And he rounds it all up in 5.13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. An authentic Christian is what we have in verse 7 here. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Everything we have covered today, everything centres around the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about how we see ourselves in light of him. Let me finish some wise words that I took from Arthur Pink. He's a 19th century, but early part of 19th century, the 1900s. He wrote, one of the surest tests to apply to the professed conversion is the heart's attitude towards sin. My heart's attitude 
towards sin. Where the principle of holiness has been plated, there will necessarily be a loathing of all that is unholy. If our hate of evil be genuine, we are thankful when a word reproves even evil which we suspected not. That is what we are to do. We are only a short week and a half away from the time when we will come together yet again to celebrate the birth of our Son of God. And this is truly a good time, as suitable as any time, to ponder his place in our hearts and our heart condition and our heart's attitude towards sin. But it also is when we do that test ourselves we will arrive at this wonderful, wonderful truth that we find in scriptures and the promise by God. My faith in him is authentic and I have assurance of salvation. Let us really reflect on what this all means in our lives and let us not fail the test ever. Let us pray together. Our loving and gracious Father, we come to you to thank you for the assurance you have given us, both through your scriptures but also by placing your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that we will love to abhor sin and love your Son, that we will love you, Lord, and that we will not blaspheme against your Holy Spirit. We will listen to him, we will abide by his guiding. And we will walk in ways that will honour your name. We pray that you will persevere with us, Lord, even though we are still sinners. But that we one day will stand before you and you will see us in the light of your Son as righteous people that can live with you for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful assurance. In Jesus' name. Amen.